this man turned from an atheist to a Christian, God. And I just pray that we can pay attention to these type of new God and in your will and everything be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So it's a short video today, but I also have a lot of like very technical stuff that I want to get into. So I don't know why, whatever. All right. So, but first we're going to start with uh, words to define again. Okay. In case you don't know some words. All right. So corroborating evidence. That's like the whole point of tonight's lesson. So that is evidence which confirms or supports a statement, theory, or finding. Okay. So corroborating evidence is like if I said I could not have committed the murder, I was at Publix getting a Snickers bar, okay? But Publix doesn't sell Snickers bars, then that evidence does not corroborate my story. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So the next one is the, how do you think you say that word? Yes, it's a silent G, just like gunat. So it is the Gnostic, Gnostic Gospels. That is 52 texts discovered in Egypt, which include secret Gospels, poems, and myths attributing to Jesus' sayings and beliefs, which are very different from the New Testament. Okay. You don't need to know what all of that means yet. We're going to talk about it later. Okay. So the question we're going to talk about, yes. Uh, do we have to go like pay attention to the video and write down as we go? Or no, you do not. I had enough hate mail from last yes. week. Everybody was like, I was so stressed watching the video and trying to fill out the, the questions. So you poor little, you poor little babies. All right. Hey, I found it. Just kidding. All right. So the question we're going to answer tonight is if Jesus really existed, if he did all the things that the Bible said and all the things that are in the Bible happened, don't you think somebody else would have written about it other than the people in the Bible? Right, it make like you would think that more than just the Bible would take note of it, and so that's the question we're going to answer tonight. Is if that is the case, then who did it, and what did they write? Except why I always do that. I point this remote at the TV, but it's over there. All right, what session are we on? Three. So, I don't know. Nobody was being murdered. I went to go check, in case y'all were wondering. I was going to close all the doors to the fellowship hall, but they were already closed. So, that was disturbing. Okay, I think they're just playing volleyball, not killing each other. So, <laughs> there's that. All right, so the first thing we're going to talk about is the reliability of the sources is are determined by the amount of corroborating evidence that supports them. So 
I used to know this person in college. Okay, her name was Caitlin. She was a Mormon. Okay, and the thing that was interesting about Caitlin is that she swore up and down, left and right, that she was dating Joe Jonas from the Jonas Brothers. Okay. Now, I thought this was weird because, uh, you know, she just went to ODU with me, which y'all don't even know where that is. And, I mean, she was, like, normal looking, you know? It's like one thing if it was, like, she was the prettiest girl I've ever seen. Joe Jonas might date this girl. It was more like, you? He's not dating you, okay? You know what I mean? And so it was just an extraordinary claim that... There was no evidence for because despite the fact that Joe Jonas was her boyfriend, um, he never came to visit her until we mentioned that he never came to visit her. And then he did come to visit her, but only between the hours of 3 and 5 a.m. where all of us were sleeping. But he would fly in in between concerts, take her out on dates, and then fly back out. Uh, yeah. Um, and so at one point, Joe Jonas... Uh, friended us on Facebook, but he couldn't let it get out that it was a you know it was his Facebook. So obviously his only friends were us and Caitlin and Caitlin's mother. So that seemed legit. Um, and then when Joe Jonas actually got engaged to somebody in the news, she was like, "Oh, that's a fake engagement. He's just doing that to deflect the fact that we are actually engaged." And I was like, this is where I draw the line. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. like at no point was she kidding. And this went on for months. And so at one, <laughs> at one point, I went on a walk with her and like one other friend. And I was like, Caitlin, I don't know how to tell you this, but nobody believes you. <laughs> that was probably not the right way to do that. She got very mad. But I mean, she was crazy, right? She said she dated Jonas, Joe Jonas, but there were like literally... Zero supporting facts. Like, we never saw him. She, he never autographed anything that we could hold and compare to. You know what I mean? Like, there were never any pictures of them together on these dates they went on. It was a whole, you know, there was no evidence to support it. So, Caitlin, as a source, not very reliable. If Caitlin had come and told us, like, oh my gosh, guys the building's on fire over there. Would we have believed her? No. Probably not. This is true. We invented a game just for her called Bigger and Better because she would always lie. Like, she had to tell... Like, if you said something crazy, she was like, that reminds me of this time that something crazier happened. Okay, so this is not... Don't do this. This is very bad. She was a compulsive liar. There was definitely something wrong with her. But we played this game where every time that she told a lie, we would also tell a crazier lie. And so we'd, like, keep piling on to see who could tell the craziest lie. Okay? And it actually did... The craziest thing we ever got to is when she told some story about something catching on fire... And then I was like, my computer lab caught on fire and my school burnt down. And then my friend said, our school caught on fire, but our computer lab didn't burn down because our computers were made of bricks. And we all just kind of sat there and waited for her to call her out on that lie. And she was like, oh, interesting. 
So she won. She won because that's the craziest lie I've ever heard. Um, but anyway, so she's not a reliable source because she proved to be unreliable in other things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Josh, I have a question. Yes. There was no other knife. Why did you say you put it in the next way possible? That's only possible to tell she's not believable. Well, you're right, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could, uh, I, you know, well, that's a different thing for another time. Okay, so... You need to talk about the reliability of sources is determined by the amount of corroborating evidence that supports them, and then the accuracy and other things that can be checked. Okay, so if I'm going to say that Jake's story is accurate, and Jake said that he did like 10 things, and I can check and verify, Jake said he went to the store. I tracked Jake's phone. I'm going to look and see if his GPS took him to the store. Okay, that's like a thing parents do. Okay, so you're checking the facts that you can check. So one of the things, did I do, oh, yeah, okay. So here, like this, not a reliable witness. Okay, this person said, Christmas isn't about overpriced gifts and bragging rights to what you bought for who. It's about being a good person and helping out your fellow person. Don't lose sight of a real deal. Okay, so this is a $28 restaurant check. He wrote a $100 tip for the total $128, and he wrote Merry Christmas on the bottom. <clears throat> this person commented and said, make sure you put that on the copy the server takes. You wrote that on the guest copy. So he didn't actually leave a $100 tip. He, took, he wrote that on the one he took home and took a picture and posted it. So people would think that he was generous, but he was not. Right? I love how he got called out. It says, see where he scribbled out right there at the bottom? That says merchant. It says guest copy. So anyway. Right? He could have just clipped it. All right, so... This is the old, well, this is not the only time, but this is, we're going to talk about the gospel of Luke because Luke wrote a lot of the Bible. So here are things that we can look at and say, what can we prove about what Luke said that makes him a reliable storyteller? So a large portion of the New Testament is written by him. It's extremely significant that Luke has been established as a scrupulously, anybody know what that means? Oh boy. That means very attention to detail oriented person, okay? He is scrupulously accurate historian, even in the smallest details. So all of the things that Luke records that we can verify have been verified. For instance, one prominent archaeologist carefully examined Luke's reference to 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands finding not a single mistake. Okay, that's a big deal. That means when Luke says, we went from this place to this place, or we went from this place down to this place, every single detail that he wrote in his stories are accurate. He was very careful with the notes he took. Okay, now when we talked about the Gnostic Gospels earlier, these other texts about Jesus, they had a lot of historical inaccuracies. Like they said, they went from here to here, 
and one of those places didn't exist, or one of those places wasn't where they said it was. And so when you have historical inaccuracies, it shows that it's not a reliable storyteller. So in the Gospel of Luke, we can say if Luke was so painstakingly accurate in his historical reporting, on what logical basis may we assume that he was credulous, or inaccurate, there's your word, in his reporting of matters that were far more important? So what he's saying here is, if Luke was very detail-oriented in the small facts, in the big facts where he thought like, hey, Jesus died and rose again and everyone needs to know about it, how much more so would he be paying attention to those details? It's way more important to him, right? He would pay much more close attention. So that's why we trust what Luke says because we've been able to prove other things that he said. All right. So the Gnostic Gospels were discovered in 1945. Okay, that was not that long ago. Okay, people in this church are older than the Gnostic Gospels were discovered. Okay, so they were discovered in 1945, and the reason that they gained so much popularity is because they're new. That's what happens. When new things come along, people tend to jump on them as this is a new revelation it is absolutely the truth. It changes everything. Why do they do that? A, because they want to believe it. And B, well, it sells things, right? It sells papers. It gets clicks. If you're like, the Jesus you knew is not the historical Jesus. Guess what? A lot of people are reading that article. If you're like, we discovered new things, but it might not mean anything because it could be inaccurate. Nobody's reading that article. That's a boring headline, okay? So the Gnostic Gospels, all right, Gnostics placed the core of salvation and the need for it not in Jesus' sacrifice, but in knowledge. They said the more you know, the better chance you have of saving yourself. So the human race is not fallen because we have sinned. We are fallen because we are ignorant. There you go. So the spirit from which gnosis or knowledge comes is good while all matter is evil. Somebody who took science class, tell me what matter is. Any, any mass and density. Yes. Any, like every physical thing. Yes, it's all evil. Knowledge is good. Anything that takes up space is evil. So that is the basis for which these gospels were written. Does that sound at all like it fits into not even just what the gospels say about Jesus in the New Testament, but does that fit with the Jewish tradition of the Old Testament? No, no right? When you read the Old Testament, do you get the fact, the feeling that knowledge is good and all matter is evil? No. no. It's a weird thing. And so it also has references to, like, was that last point? It has references to other figures, like Mani, whoever that is, uh, Buddha is in there. And so it kind of takes all of these spiritual religions from nearby and puts it into this gospel. And then they call it like the gospel of Mary. And then it's like, bam, there you go. This was written about Jesus. And so people, like rightly so, have discredited these saying, just because it was written around the time of Jesus. Mind you, remember when we talked about last week, the Bible, some parts of it were written two to five years after Jesus' life, the furthest thing that was written was 90 years. 
these were written 200 years after Jesus' life. So historically, they're not as accurate in any way, okay? But people like to thank them because it gives them a way out. All right. Um, yeah, they were interested in stories. Okay. So that's all we're going to talk about. So forget from this point on, forget about everything you know about Jesus from the Bible. Okay. We're going to pretend like the Bible doesn't exist. We're going to look at only things outside the Bible. What can we know about Jesus? So they talked about a guy named Josephus. He was a Jewish historian around the time of Jesus. He wrote a lot of things called Antiquities of the Jews and about a Jewish war with Rome. Okay, He's a very accurate and trusted Jewish historian who was not a Christian. He wrote, okay, he convened a meeting of the Sanhedrin and brought before them a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ. What do we know about Jesus from this one little passage? He had a brother named James. Jesus was called the Christ. Okay. And certain others, he accused them of having transgressed the law and, developed, and delivered them up to be stoned. So literally, people who followed Jesus are being killed here, right? Okay. Oh boy, this was a... I should have broken this up. This is a lot. All right, so then it says, About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many Greeks. He was the Christ. And when, upon the accusation, the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to the cross... Those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them spending a third day, restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of Christians, so-called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. What do we know about Jesus from this passage? He died, rose again. He went over many Jews and Greeks. Pilate yeah. Pilate And Pilate condemned him to death. On a cross, right? Did it say that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought so. And, and then, uh, Christians are still around yeah, and Christians are still around to this day. Yeah. Prophets foretold these things. All right, so next, this is a, the guy that they talked about called Tacitus. He said, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, for whom the name had its origin, suffered the, not a extreme penalty, the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, in a most mischievous superstition. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pled guilty. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. So here we see, yes, Jesus again, Pontius Pilate crucified him, and then they're arresting and killing Christians, right? We're going to come back to that. That's huge. All right. Another one. 
This is the last one. Okay, so the Jewish traditional literature, although it mentions Jesus only quite sparingly and most and must in any case be used with caution, supports the gospel claim that he was a healer and miracle worker, even though it ascribes these activities to sorcery. So a lot of times when they talk about Jesus, they say that he was a magician because he healed people. So even though it ascribes these activities to sorcery. In addition, it preserves the recollection that he was a teacher, that he had disciples, and that at least... In the earlier rabbinic period, not all the sages had finally made up their minds that he was a heretic or a deceiver. So that's why he was crucified, because they said, he's a heretic, he's a deceiver. But not everyone had made up their mind about that. So from these not Bible sources, what do we know? This is huge. Wow, that should have happened one at a time. Here they all are. Okay, so what do we know? We know that Jesus was a Jewish teacher, okay? This is huge because Jesus needed to be from the line of David according to the prophets. We know that many people believed that he performed healings and exorcisms, okay? And mind you, I only gave you four really long quotes from a bunch of really long quotes and a lot of really boring, okay, history books, okay? Some people believed he was the Messiah, he was rejected by the Jewish leaders. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. <coughs> Despite this shameful death, his followers who believed that he was still alive spread beyond Palestine so that there were multitudes of them in Rome. And then all kinds of people from the cities and countryside, men and women, slave and free, worshipped him as God. Okay. So, if you throw out the entire New Testament and only look at Jesus from historical documents, from reliable sources, we have literally the entire story of the gospel preserved. Isn't that cool? But not only that, but these historical sources corroborate the story that's in the gospels. So, if the gospels are historically accurate... And we have these other things written about Jesus that prove them to be accurate again, right? It's a double-trusted source now. We have corroborating evidence that say you should look into this theory. It could be real. And if there's a possibility that this theory is real, you need to explore it. Like you said in the first series, it has huge implications. So... There's my favorite meme on Twitter I'm about to introduce y'all to is uh, these people say huge if true. Okay? You might not know this. Okay, like here. The headline is Jennifer Aniston and Mariah Carey love their guacamole. Okay? Huge if true. Okay? This is groundbreaking stuff. If this is a true story, huge implications. Okay? Jack Dorsey says he once ate a goat that Mark Zuckerberg personally slaughtered with a laser gun and a knife. Huge, if true. I don't know. That's the weirdest thing. I bet. I like the picture of the goat, though. All right. That's weird. Twitter tweeted, yes, it's still January. They said big, if true. Changes everything. Okay. So... 
the thing, the reason I put this in here is because all of those historical documents talked about how Christians were being killed. And they're being killed at the time of Jesus. So these are the Christians that knew and followed Jesus. Why is that huge if true? Because if they knew that Jesus was a lie, they would not willingly go die. Yes, liars make bad martyrs. And all of the disciples died that way. So that's huge. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. So what about the darkness? I don't think I put any of this on your notes. Okay, we're going to cover a few things really quickly. This was like my favorite part of researching this lesson. Okay, so in Luke 23, 44 to 46. Oh, yeah, by the way, your second page has all of the quotes that I read. I just thought y'all might want to keep them. So I put them in there. Yeah, y'all were like, we're going to page two of the notes? No, you're, you're done. You're fine. Okay. So in Luke 23, it says, It was about noon, this is when Jesus was being crucified, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Into your hands I commit my spirit. In Matthew 27, it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split, and the people saw that there was an earthquake. Yes? I know this is probably just, you didn't do it, but Luke said that he's very specific about the details and stuff, so why didn't he say, like, it was pulling it from top to bottom? Why? Did, uh, he might he have? Said, he said it got torn in two, but just not from top to bottom. Like, he looked like a small detail. Yeah. Well, He's very meticulous about the details he does tell. So that's why we have three different like tellings of the story. And so things that Luke focuses on, Matthew, Matthew and Mark focus on different things typically. Yeah. So he is attention to detail, but he's attention to detail about historical things. And they were attention to detail about like his Jewishness and the traditional things of, you know, what it would mean about the prophets of the past. So the thing that's interesting about this is that we have three things that we should be able to find in history. Did it go dark in the middle of the day for three hours? Was there an earthquake? And what was the other one? Oh, yeah, was it noon when it went dark? Okay, so we have this source who wrote that the phenomenon evidently was visible in Rome, Athens, and other Mediterranean cities, according to whatever that thing is. It was a cosmic or world event. There's a reason that those are in quotes, because the world was the known world, right? They didn't know about America, so we don't have records of that. But when they say it was a world event, that means that area of the world experienced darkness. So a Greek author from whatever, writing a chronology soon after 137 AD, so that's 100 years later, reported that on the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, i.e. 33 AD, there was a great eclipse of the sun and that it became night in the sixth hour of the day, i.e. noon, so that the stars even appeared in the heavens. There was a great earthquake in Bithyania, and many things were overturned in Nicaea. So here we have historical documentation where this guy was writing that there was, and what he called an eclipse, he said there was an eclipse that lasted for three hours at noon 
and the same time there was an earthquake and many things were turned over. That is exactly backing up what the gospel said, which is super cool because since there is historical reference to this, this happened April 3rd, 33 AD. So from that date, we can say that Jesus was crucified on April 3rd, 33 AD. Does that freak you out? It freaked me out. I was like, whoa, whoa. All right. So this is the, what is the Jesus seminar? I'm telling you this only because it came up. I worked in a Baptist church once where the pastor gave me a book and it was about the Jesus seminar. And he's like, you need to read this. It changed my life. The Jesus seminar was a bunch of people. It was 150 people founded in 1985. What did I say about new? People love new things, right? And here's the other thing, 150 people. Think about all the people that have been scholars of the Bible for the last 2,000 years. And this is a group of 150 people. That's not a lot. Okay, so they started in 1985. They went into early 2000s and then they kind of died out. Members of the seminar used votes with colored beads to decide what Jesus actually said and what they think the disciples added into the Bible. So their whole premise is, I don't think the historical Jesus said the things that he thought. So we're all going to vote using beads and determine what Jesus said and what he didn't say. Their premise is that Jesus never claimed to be God. He was just a wise teacher, and the disciples later added all of this into the Bible. Now, mind you, when the lead pastor of this church told me that this is what he believed, I quit. And I'm like, what's the point? Why even, what do you do in a church if Jesus isn't God, you know, what? Okay, so anyway, so it ruled out 80% of the things that the Bible says that Jesus said. And I have an example. By the way, it's very hard to find examples. Well, you'll see why. So here is what the Lord's Prayer, okay? Everything in red is what they've agreed that Jesus definitely said, okay? Everything in black, they say Jesus definitely did not say that. Everything in gray is things that they think he probably didn't say. And everything in pink, they say, is something that they, he probably said something close to, but they changed the wording. Okay? So the Lord's Prayer is essentially just like our Father. That's it. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say in heaven. He said something about imperial rule. I don't, that's not in there. He said something about bread and forgiving people. The end. Okay? And so that's what they rewrote everything that Jesus said in that manner. Okay. And people like bought it for a while. Like they were like, this is amazing. The historical Jesus didn't say any of these things and they believed it because they wanted to believe it. The thing that the Jesus seminar ignores is all of the people who wrote the New Testament died for the New Testament and died for Jesus. And they wouldn't have done that if they had made up all of the things that Jesus said about being God. You know, doesn't make sense. So anyway, that was the Jesus Seminar. And here's a brief list of all the references that have discredited the Jesus Seminar since 2006. 
okay? But I felt like you needed to know about it because somebody is going to get really smart with you when you get to college and they're going to be like, well, these people said that Jesus didn't say... They don't know what they're talking about, okay? But you need to know about it so you can defend yourself from it. Okay, so now we do have discussion questions at the bottom of those quotes. I enjoyed this lesson, even if y'all didn't. I found it very enlightening. Okay, go into your groups, answer your questions, and then uh, I'll see y'all Wednesday.